What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Sunita Osborne on the episode today. I'm so excited, you guys, because she is making her story very known in the <laughs> near future. She has a book coming out, and she'll talk a little bit about that. But um, for now, Sunita, just jump right in and start wherever you would like with your story. All right. Well, thank you so much, Shelly, for having me and for having this podcast as well, too. It has helped me so much on my journey. And I guess I'll go ahead and start with that, what my journey has been. Starting with my husband, Michael, and I, we met in 2014 in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was getting my doctorate in clinical psychology there, and Michael was working there, living there. We met at this very sketchy country line dancing bar. I don't know if you've ever been line dancing before, Shelly, but it's uh, not a very romantic place necessarily, (laughs) but our eyes met across the room. After a couple of hours, he had the confidence to come initiate a conversation with me. And three years later, in 2017, we were married. And a year later, we moved to Houston, Texas, which is where I'm originally from, and moved into a beautiful house. Had an awesome job. I'm working at a group practice called Modern Therapy. And I remember we were driving somewhere. Michael sitting next to me. Music was playing. Super hot because it's Houston, Texas in like July. And I remember having this moment of clarity of like, I'm ready to have kids. Our life is so amazing right now. And maybe there's never a right time, but this feels like a really good time. And I'm really excited about it. And I've only had a few moments of clarity like that in my life. I think meeting Michael in that sketchy line dancing bar, knowing like, okay, I'm going to take a chance on him, become a psychologist. That was another one. And then like, yes, I'm ready to have kids. So a couple of months later, maybe in September or so, yeah, September 2018, we decided, all right, I'm going to go up on birth control. And in my mind, I'm like, it's probably going to be like some time because I've been on birth control for such a long time to have my cycles regulate before anything would happen. For whatever reason, Michael was very certain it was going to happen very soon. He's like, just be ready. Like when we start this, we could get pregnant immediately. And I'm like, it's not going to happen. But oh my God, it'd be amazing if it did. And we were lucky that at the end of September, we found out that we were pregnant. And I still remember the morning I found out, I had tested like really early because I would have loved to be one of those people who was like, I'm just going to see what happens. We'll have fun. Couldn't do that. I no. planned everything. <laughs> I thought yeah. I was going to yeah. be like that and I was not. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I would have loved to be that person. But no, I tracked everything, ovulation, the days. I had a calendar up. So I've been like taking tests repeatedly. So on that day, I saw like the first fate line, proceeded to take about five or six more tests, all confirming, and got one of those like clear blue ones that say pregnant on it. So you really feel confident yeah. in the decision. And girl, those are, I mean, they're, it adds up. It's Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. The amount of money I've spent on pregnancy tests, ridiculous, but whatever. <laughs> Needed it at the time. And I still remember the moment I saw like the pregnant on that test like literally jumping up and down, excited. And I, I paused for a second and like looked at myself in the mirror and just remember thinking of like, my life is about to change completely, which was definitely true. And I wished I could have been one of those people who 
had a really cool creative way of telling my husband how that we were pregnant, but I was just way too excited. So I like was taking all those tests at like 6 a.m. And then at 7 a.m. when I felt like, okay, it's a little bit later, I woke him up and I was like, we're going to be parents. And he was shocked and excited and hugged me. And I think about an hour later, right when my doctor's office opened up, I called them to schedule an appointment. I was actually kind of surprised they were able to schedule us so soon. They scheduled us for the next week when I would have been maybe like five weeks or so, which I know for some other women that I've known myself or heard on the podcast, you have to wait at times like eight to 10 weeks before your doctor is going to see you. But for me, they took us pretty early on. So we go to our first appointment. We found out like on a Thursday in September, end of September, and we go on Tuesday around the beginning of October. And we see my doctor, she hugs us, gives us all the colorful, like new parents paperwork, tells us a little bit about, okay, what these are what your next appointments are going to look like. Really optimistic start. And she goes ahead and starts the ultrasound. She says, okay, well, you know, I'm seeing the gestational sac and things are looking a little bit behind based on where you've told me your last period was. But she's like, but maybe you ovulated a little bit late. That happens from time to time. And I think it was that moment where the first like seed of anxiety for me was kind of planted because, like I said, I tracked everything. So I knew where my ovulation was. But at the same time, like she's a doctor. She said, like, everything is okay. I'm not worried. We'll just have you go do some more testing and we'll see where things are at. So that month then, I would say the month of October 2018 became like the merry-go-round of doctor's appointments for us. We were probably at our doctor's office, if not once a week, sometimes like twice a week, essentially maybe some people have been in this experience before where it's like, we know you're pregnant. They're saying that they're not worried yet, but we're still not seeing like exactly what we want to see yet. So let's keep getting your HCG levels tested. Let's keep going back for ultrasounds to make sure that things are progressing as they should. And they were like the HCG levels were still doubling to what you would want them to be, but they were just a little bit low. And in the ultrasounds, my gestational sac was growing. You could see the fetal pole, like yolk sac, all that stuff, but we hadn't seen a heartbeat yet. And I would say during that month of October as well, too, my anxiety was definitely very high. And I would say my Google searches reflected like where my state of mind was on a given day, essentially. Like there's one thing I talk with my uh, clients about in therapy, the idea of confirmation bias, that like if you have a certain belief or idea, you selectively pay attention to those things that confirm that belief. So if I was like in a doom and gloom kind of place where I'm thinking, oh my God, I haven't been nauseous at all, or what does this mean? I would find forums that then confirmed it. Yes, the worst is going to happen. That's oh, so true. Right? Yes. I. Uh, yeah. And believe me, like as you imagine, you know, and many other people know, you can find anything that will confirm what you're thinking. And you'll find something that will confirm the, the other side as well, too. So we had um, that whole month. And then I would say on the other side as well, too, there were moments of I would try to be hopeful and I would think, well, maybe even though it's been like weeks and weeks and we haven't found anything out, it still could be a good sign. And again, the forums can confirm that's the case too of like, yeah, I went to have that exact same thing happen to me and I was completely fine. Eventually, we got to the point that like end of October, we're like, what is happening? We're going to all these doctor's appointments. I'm still experiencing pregnancy symptoms. My HCG levels are rising, but it just seems really weird that at, at this point, we haven't seen a heartbeat or anything. So we decided, like, we need to go to a different doctor. Like, we're just not really feeling safe at the place that we're at. And 
that's definitely something that, again, I've heard on your podcast and I completely support is if you feel like you're not at a doctor's office where you feel supported, advocated for, like, please find somewhere else that you will get that support that you need because miscarriage is hard enough without being at a place that doesn't give you all of the resources and help and information you need. So we went to a new doctor, gave her all of our information, and essentially right at that first ultrasound, she takes a look at the picture and says, you know, I'm really sorry, but it looks like you're having a miscarriage, like specifically a blighted ovum, which based on all of my copious Google searching, I had seen that term before. It's essentially when the gestational sac continues to grow, but the embryo doesn't develop alongside with it. And that's why you still have pregnancy symptoms because your ACG levels are rising and everything else. And I still just remember in that moment of, um, I had probably rehearsed that exact situation in my mind so many times, like imagining the worst case scenario, but you're never prepared for it. You know, like right when they tell you, it still hits you like a ton of bricks and, you know, just crying, devastated. My husband, Michael, was there. He was with me at every single appointment. And we just held each other and cried. And I think there's definitely that experience of like, you hear those news, you hear that news and things really slow down for you. And then things move really quickly. It's like, okay, well, we got to go get more tests. You have to go get your blood drawn again. You have to get another ultrasound to confirm things. You have to schedule a DNC. That's what she was recommending for us at least. And you're also just in that strange sort of limbo because you've been told you have a DNC or you're having a miscarriage and all you want to do is go home, hide under the covers from the world, but you have to go and get your blood drawn and then you have to go home. And then you have to maybe for me call work and say like, hey, I'm going to be out for today. I'll be back whenever, whatever else and continuing like that. So I think being in that limbo place was so hard for me and what I did is what I kind of always do whenever I need comfort or anything else. I turn to books. So I've always had a special relationship, I would say, with books. Of I turn to Domino's. Domino's? Oh, my God. I think Domino's I heard pizza. that. <laughs> I think I did actually hear that in one of your podcasts. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love that. And actually, I did turn to Chick-fil-A after both of my miscarriages as well, too, on the way back because I was hungry. And I still had a completely full appetite. So I ate all my Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and then I turned to books <laughs> after that, later in that evening, when essentially I started thinking about um, what are some of like, I need a book. I said, I need a guide here. Something that's going to tell me of like, what am I walking through right now? What am I experiencing? And how do I get through this as well? Mm -hmm. And there are some amazing books out there that really walk you through it. And at the same time, I think that, I was just kind of feeling this urge of like, I, I need to write down my story. I need to write down what I'm experiencing. And then also just through my own clinical practice of working with clients of like, what are some of the things that I know that women who are in this place have walked through before? So I just started writing. I just started with my story and then kept on going. And I would say that book just kind of evolved with where my journey went. I had my DNC the next week after I found out about the miscarriage. And I started writing about that, about all the nitty gritty details that come with having a DNC, how expensive it is, how you, it's like a real surgery where you have to go in and get put under and do pre-op and post-op and how you still experience the effects of it for weeks afterwards with like bleeding and spotting and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I found that to be so helpful during that time, putting all that words, all of that pain into writing. I didn't know what I was going to do with the book at that time, but I just knew I needed to just get it out somewhere and then figure out where I was going to go from there. 
while all of this was happening, you know, still doing my follow-up appointments with my doctor and things like that. And she gave us the green light at the end of 2018, December. So I had my miscarriage in early November. And by December 2018, she's like, okay, you guys are good to go ahead and get started if you'd want to. Now, thinking back, probably would have been good to give myself some time, but can't do that. I was like, all right, onwards then. <laughs> Let's do this. Maybe, I think my thought was, if we can get pregnant fast enough, this can be just kind of like this like sad, difficult footnote we had in our story. And the excitement of pregnancy would be able to distract me from any of the pain and grief that I was walking through. And we were fortunate enough that like at the end of January, we got pregnant again. And I will say that it worked. You know, that was definitely pregnancy is so distracting and consuming that I feel like I did have a little bit of a distraction for sure from all my pain and grief. And I actually took a break from writing my book for a little while because I was just like so back into that mode of like, I'm pregnant, I'm excited. I'm like looking at forums and blogs again and everything else. And I think starting off at that time too, there again was a lot of anxiety in the beginning because of like, okay, I've been here before. What if this happens again? And I think not only was the anxiety hard, but there was maybe some guilt sometimes about the anxiety as well too. Like, why can't I be excited? I'm so lucky I got to be pregnant again. And one thing I'll talk to a lot of my clients about is like, there is such a danger and such a cyclical nature of like feeling bad about feeling bad. And that's exactly what I was experiencing. So that's something I struggled with a lot. And what I tried to do in those moments, and again, this is something that I'll do a lot of times in therapy is I think of my most like compassionate friend, I think of Michael and I think, okay, if this person was going through what I was going through, experiencing the same thoughts and feelings that I was, what would I tell them? Because we are so much more compassionate to our friends and our family sometimes than we are to ourselves. And it was doing things like that that really got me through just that first month of pregnancy in February of 2019. That and a lot of Netflix and Chick-fil-A as well, too. All those things were helpful. <laughs> I needed all of them at the time. And we had then our first appointment, which... We had it, we purposely scheduled it to be later this time because I was like, I do not want to go back to doing a bunch of different doctor's appointments if it's too early to tell anything anyway. I want to go when it's like supposed to be maybe around 10 weeks or so so I can just see what's happening, like just rip the Band-Aid off at that point. So we go to the doctor. I really love my doctor for this because she could tell how anxious I was. So like right when she starts the ultrasound, immediately says like, I'm seeing everything that I need to see. I'm hearing the heartbeat, like everything sounds really good. And I remember thinking at that moment of like, I had been holding my breath for the entire month of February and I finally was able to let it go. And my husband and I were just overjoyed for those next few weeks. Like during both of my pregnancies, I had not allowed myself to get excited, to dream, to imagine, to plan any of that stuff. But it's like by actually hearing the heartbeat this time, it's like I had been given permission finally of like, yes, you can get excited. I even, even with that, I still Googled, of course, and even like checked that. It said that if you see a heartbeat at like around, even though I was supposed to be 10 weeks, I was measuring closer to like nine weeks or so. But if you see a heartbeat at nine weeks, the chance of a viable pregnancy is like 98%. And I was like, 98%? That's amazing. Like, yes, I can go with that. I can celebrate with that. So the next uh, maybe three and a half weeks or so, 
was just amazing. My husband and I spent the whole time just uh, planning names, making plans, getting excited, telling people. And actually, that's you know a piece for me there is like, so I told everyone very early with both pregnancies. I am someone who like, if I have exciting news, news period, honestly, I'll just tell people about it. And, <laughs> yeah, I just, I just have to do it. So I told everyone about it and I told them the second time it happened as well too. And when it happened as well. And I think at first, I was really, I was cautious still as I was telling them. But when we got the heartbeat, I was like, all right, everyone, we're team excitement now. You can get excited. We're happy. This is moving forward. And then we go back for our 12-week appointment. And I will say we went into that appointment in a completely different headspace than we ever had before. At all of our previous doctor's appointments, I had really become it's become associated with me that OB's office was like anxiety and dread and anticipation and fear. But after our last appointment, I was going into getting excited of like, oh my God, we got to see the heartbeat. I can't wait to see how big the baby is this time. So we start the ultrasound and I remember things like, I swear, I felt like things like slowed down in time because the moment that the ultrasound photo came up that I could see on the screen, my brain like made several connections at once. It felt like I had looked at the picture from our last appointment almost like every single day. So I knew exactly what our baby at around nine weeks looked like. And that's kind of exactly what I was seeing on the screen when it was supposed to be 12 weeks, minus that little flicker of a heartbeat. That's what was missing there. And I swear, and maybe that was like a millisecond, me thinking about that. The next second, my doctor said out loud, you know, I'm really sorry, but I'm not seeing any cardiac activity right now. And it looks like you're having a miscarriage. And, you know, I was just laying there and I started just like sobbing. Shake, like my legs were like in the stirrup still. Wanda still at me and I'm like just shaking, crying. And my husband was next to me. He puts his, you know, head on my stomach and he's just crying too in that moment. And again, I really appreciate my doctor for this because she moved very quickly. She got another doctor in there to confirm the diagnosis. She comes in and really kind doctor as well. It's just like, you know, I'm so sorry. Yes, it looks like a miscarriage. It looks like calcification has already happened. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but essentially prognosis was the same. And again, I think things moved from being very slow to very fast, very quickly, where it was like, okay, we need to go ahead and schedule your DNC right now. We're going to go ahead and do that for tomorrow if we can. And I don't even actually honestly know what the urgency of getting it done so quickly was. At that time, I just didn't care. I was just like on autopilot, like, okay, let's just go then. And she started making us referrals to different infertility places and like testing for us to do. And again, I think at the time, I registered the word infertility and thinking like, infertility, like, why are we getting referred to this? We got pregnant so quickly, both times. Like, what does this word mean right now? And at the same time, like, I can't handle this at this moment. Like, I just need to like keep moving. And so like an hour later, we were making a very painfully familiar now journey to the hospital community located next door to get the pre-op for our surgery tomorrow, the next day. And I still remember sitting in like the waiting room chairs thinking like an hour ago, I was like excited about this appointment, excited to see our ultrasound. And now here, one hour later, I'm about to get ready for another DNC surgery. I'm texting my family and my friends, letting them know what happened. And it was just such a weird state to be in of like how things can like just change so very quickly for you. So the next morning we had to go for our second DNC. It was at I think 12 PM. But before that, I woke up kind of early because I just couldn't sleep that night. And I started, I picked up my book again and I started writing and I wrote for 
probably what must have been like almost like five hours straight. I wrote the second part of my story. I remember thinking like I never thought I was going to have a second part to my story, but I needed just to put it down right now. And then I wrote another section, which probably to this day is like one of my favorite sections in the book. It was called Choosing Hope. And essentially what I meant by that was now by having two experiences of pregnancy and miscarriage, I kind of learned something from it. In the first experience of pregnancy, I was so anxious the whole time, likely due to a number of factors, including like all the number of appointments we were getting without any kind of reassurance or confirmation of what was going on. And in my second pregnancy, I was really anxious at first. And then after we saw the heartbeat, I got hopeful and I got excited. And those few weeks when I was hopeful and excited were so amazing. They were so nourishing. They were so filling for me. And I wouldn't trade them for the world. And, you know, essentially I linked it to this, something I talk about in therapy a lot is this idea that we have like an emotional bank account almost. And we make deposits into this bank account by expressing appreciation and gratitude and hope and allowing us to let happiness and joy in. Life in general takes a lot of withdrawals from us through stress, everything else. Miscarriage is a huge withdrawal that takes so much from us. And I remember thinking of like, even though this is what happened, the outcome was I was having another miscarriage, I was so happy that I allowed myself those few weeks of hope and excitement and dreaming because that strength is what got me through the next few weeks there. You know, I went and had my DNC later that day. And the next three days, actually, I made the decision to take off of work. And Michael did as well, which was amazing. We just spent those three days like mourning together. And I think because of all like the hoping, the planning, the dreaming that we got to have together, we just felt very connected in a way that I don't know if we were able to in the first miscarriage because I was so anxious and disconnected from him and myself during that time. And so I kept writing after that, even after, so after the DNC for the weeks afterwards, and as we started, as my doctor recommended, doing some fertility testing. There's like a miscarriage blood panel, chromosomal testing, all that kind of stuff. And everything was coming back relatively normal. That was like in the month right after the DNC. And it got to a point in the testing where our doctor recommended, well, you know, I think we should do some procedures, one of them being the hysteroscopy. And I remember experiencing some resistance to that idea of like, oh, God, I don't want to do another surgery right now. Like I had a DNC at that point in November of 2018, a DNC in March of 2019. And now here, this was like end of April. He was just like, yeah, so, you know, we'll put you under, we'll do the surgery. And I talked to my husband about it. We had a really honest, raw, great conversation where we took a pause for a second and we asked each other, do we want to have kids? The answer to that was yes. Are we willing to undergo all these procedures and potentially um, more procedures to be able to conceive and have a viable pregnancy? Are we willing to do that right now? And the answer to that question for both of us at this moment, maybe forever, was no, we're not. What we want to do, what we're choosing to do is that we want to focus on other parts of our life right now. We want to focus on our relationship, our work, my book, our passions. And there was something that has been so empowering about being able to choose this for us right now, especially because I feel like miscarriage, it takes away so many choices from you. You know, you don't get the choice to miscarry. You don't get the choice to have to then do things about it, to have to 
pay for it in many different ways to have to do follow-up appointments, but I can choose this. I can choose what path I want my life to take. And it reminds me of um, something I had read once about the idea of fertility. In our society, a lot of times meaning something about like being able to have kids, but fertility, what it truly means is it's like a richness. It is a beauty in life. And that Fertility is something that's maybe one destination, but it has many paths to it. And one path may be motherhood, a beautiful, rich path. But maybe another path could be the path that Michael and I are on now of creating a different kind of fertility, a different kind of richness in our life. And that's been kind of an adventure, us doing that right now, something that I've really enjoyed and found, again, so empowering as well, too. And I've so appreciated on your podcast being able to hear so many women's stories about like the resilience they have after their experiences of pregnancy loss, of trying and um, essentially like adapting and continuing to move forward. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to speak to a different path as well, too, of like experiencing the loss and then choosing of like, I think I'm going to choose this other path again, maybe now, maybe forever as well, too. But there's something that feels just very beautiful about being able to have that choice at this moment. I love that because I think that I honestly think that's a really hard path to choose too. You know what I mean? Especially when you have gone through miscarriage and infertility struggles, it almost can, it can easily become an obsession. Yes. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. For me, me, it was definitely an obsession. I became obsessed with getting pregnant and getting Mm -hmm. to that like end goal and you know, and that that was my path, but it doesn't have to be everybody's path if you are feeling kind of like a pull to a different direction. And you're the first episode that we've had that. And I yeah. think that that's so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And I will say I definitely had that. It almost felt like automatic pull after the second miscarriage that I immediately started tracking again. Okay, so if I have the DNC now, then I'm going to heal by this time. So we could start by this time. and We finished fertility testing by this time. And I think that was just like, it was just all moving so quickly that that's when we, again, took that pause and had that conversation. And it's something I'm certainly still coming to terms with. I think it's something that I really appreciate your reaction because I know at times when I share it with people, I think it's, it is a different path that not a lot of people take. So people, it's hard for maybe people to respond to it at times. You know, we've shared that sometimes with like friends and family. And their responses will be like, well, don't give up. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, you'll figure it out. You'll get your kid one day. You'll get your family. And it's hard to explain of like, no, like, we're not giving up. We're choosing this. And we have our family. We have me and Michael, my two dogs, Pomeranian and Lab Pipple Mix. And that's a great family right there. And we feel really great about it. And um, yeah, I think I love being able to speak about this new path. Because again, it's new for me, but I think it's also something that there are a lot of people out there who experience it, but don't really talk about it too much, this different path. Yeah, absolutely. I I wasn't expecting it, to be yeah. honest. And I'm like really <laughs> excited about it because, like I said, I haven't heard a whole lot of women take that route after going through these struggles. And the way you explained it, too, is like having the choice mm-hmm. to do that is really powerful and I think it it takes a lot mentally to get yourself to that position to like understand like that is the route that you want to take um and yeah and that just goes to show like how in tune you are I think with you know your mental side of things because (laughs) let's just say I always say the crazy is super real after Mm miscarriage oh my gosh yes I'm so glad you bring that up too because I 
do really feel like after miscarriage, any kind of world trauma, I feel like it really shifts things for you. Mm-hmm. Like after our first miscarriage, my husband and I started like doing things we had never done before, like taking like a lot of trips together, playing tennis together. I took up skateboarding, like what a weird random thing to start doing. But again, like it just shifts things for you in some kind of way. It almost makes you like go out and grab, like just grabbing at things to see like what's going to take, what's going to make me feel better, what's going to, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I think that is completely what it is. I'm like, yeah, it's like now that I have this space, what am I going to do with it? Like I'm going to do something about it. There's one Mm -hmm. section in my book that I really enjoy and I apologize for the cussing, but it is – so fuck silver linings, at least the ones that people tell you, because a lot of times, you know, we hear these silver linings after any kind of loss, but definitely after miscarriage where people are like, well, at least it happened early or, you know, at least you're so young, it can happen again, anything like that. And a lot of times I will say, fuck those silver linings. They're not helpful to me. They're actually pretty dismissive. But what about the silver linings that I can create? What about the ways that I can like, I don't know, find new beauty and richness in my life? One of, like, I would say, like, a silver lining for me is writing this book, connecting with someone like you, Shelly, that otherwise I wouldn't have the opportunity to, being able to hear all the stories on your podcast that I have really connected with and have stayed with me. So I think there are these things you can um, get out of it. It almost reminds me, like, I was thinking about this the other day when I was listening to the podcast. You know, we use the concept of, like, a rainbow baby a lot. And I almost like the idea of just even thinking about, like, a rainbow period of like, what is your rainbow after the storm? Sometimes like a rainbow baby, maybe it's a rainbow, it's a rainbow life. It's a rainbow path in a different way. And almost like defining like, what is your rainbow look like? Yeah, that's such a good way to think about it. And thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your journey, especially because it is different than a lot of other people's. And I'm so excited to read your book, especially, especially after you just told me the fuck the silver linings (laughs) chapter, because that is like my cup of tea right there. (laughs) Yes. I, yes, I appreciate that. And I think you would like the rest of the content because it definitely gets, um, very raw in there. And I really want to use my voice in there too. Because that's what I love about, you know, even the, what you've shared in your podcast and even the description I read of your book of like, yes, like I want this to be like almost a conversation. Like you can hear my voice speaking through this. Like this is someone else who's walked through it mm-hmm. and can maybe give you an idea of like, this is where you're going. This is maybe some things that can help you. And you're not alone in yeah. this. Writing yeah. as you speak. And yes, that's kind of yes. like the way that I thought about my ebook. And um, I think it's so cool that you wrote as you were going through it because mm-hmm. that that is kind of the way to do that. It's like that you're getting those true raw emotions and you are writing as you speak when you're writing in the moment. So I highly encourage like other people, if journaling is your thing, definitely jot down your feelings as you're going through it because mm-hmm. um, something really powerful comes out of that. And your book is going to change a lot of lives and it's going to do the world some good. So thank you so much for that. And if you had like one piece of advice for anybody in a similar situation, what would it be? Yeah, actually, one thing that comes to mind is thinking about the um, whole piece of like fuck silver linings that people tell you is that, you know, you, I feel like we hear a lot of different things that people tell us that don't feel good. And I don't think the intentions behind them are ever malicious. I think they are said with only wanting to maybe look out for us and to be compassionate. But I think just as a society, we're not well-equipped for loss and we're definitely not well-equipped for miscarriage, even though it happens so often. So I think one tip I would have that I found really helpful, especially for my second miscarriage, when maybe I had a little bit um, 
less patience. And I was just more like, nope, can't deal with this right now. I'm going cutting straight to the BS is asking for the support that you need from others of, you know, if I have a family or a friend who says like, well, it's okay, you're really young, like maybe things are going to work out for you. Like, I think it's going to be completely fine to just say like, you know, I really appreciate that. But what I really need to hear right now is that that really sucked and that you're here with me right now. That's what I really need. And it's hard to say that because a lot of times people maybe don't take that well. Maybe they feel kind of hurt by it. And at the same time, the next time they come around and you share something with them and they say like, man, that really sucks. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. It's like, huh, you hurt me. And that feels so good. And it makes such a difference, especially I would say in your relationship with your partner as well too of help them know what you need because that, I think that brings you a lot closer and mm-hmm. helps you feel a lot more connected as well too. So that's just one thing I would say is like, we already go through so much that hearing things that are just not helpful or hurtful to us it's just another burden we don't need to bear. So is there a way we can try to help ourselves and the people around us support us in the way that we deserve is just tell them, tell them what you need from them. I agree. Especially the people that are super close to your family members. I had to be very open with my mom about what I needed because Mm -hmm. she was kind of giving me the opposite. I was like, hey, lady, lady, listen out. Yes. (laughs) But people are fixers and sometimes we just need them to be listeners instead. Um, So I think that's great advice. Now, if somebody wants to keep up with like your story when your book is coming out or they just want to reach out to you, where mm-hmm. can they do that? So they can go to www.drsanitaosborne.com. Awesome. And yeah. is Instagram a good place to kind of, you know, message you or get in yeah. touch with you? Okay. Definitely. Yeah. My Instagram name is Sunita Osborne. I will say I don't use it too much, but okay. there are a couple of, I mean, I look at it pretty often though still, and you'll see a cute photo of my dog and me and my husband hiking a few different places and that's about it, but I am receptive <laughs> on and I will respond. I was like, well, I know that's where you and I have messaged yes. through. So um, I will go ahead and I'll link your website and I'll also link your Instagram in the description of the podcast. And you guys, this book is going to be amazing. And I'm so excited for it. And so if you ever, you know, want to do a giveaway or anything yeah. like that with the listeners, we should definitely do so. I would love that. Well, thank you so much, Shelly, for yeah. this opportunity. I'm so glad we got the chance to connect. Yeah, and me too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb fam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together.